This is Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. Stanford. 90.1 FM. Radio Atenea Americana. This is Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Radio Atenea Americana. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Jubes. Isabel Jubes. Bienvenido. Atenea Americana. Welcome. Bienvenido. From Stanford to the world. Today our guest is San Francisco Poet Laureate Alejandro Murgia. He is a Californian-born artist, son of Mexicans with a lifelong experience in writing. Actually, he had been reciting his poetry since he was in preschool and had been always involved in the art of languages in one way or another. Murguía is an important figure in activism in San Francisco and especially in the historical Hispanic Mission District. Today, he is also a professor of Latin American Literature at San Francisco State University and holds the title of the first Hispanic in achieve the honor of being a Poet Laureate of San Francisco. Murgia describes San Francisco as the city of poets. Murgia has already published five books with his original work and is always involved in lectures, poetry readings, and even cinematographic projects. His books, Southern Front and This War Called Love, were both winners of the American Book Award. He also published Stripe Poems, The Medicine of Memory, and Farewell to the Coast. His latest projects involve a new film inspired by one of his original short stories about the Mission District. In this case, the story talks about the mysterious fires that had been misplacing Hispanics outside of the city. Every human being has a story that's important to tell and perhaps write down. We all grow, I think, are born with instincts for art and beauty and poetry. And perhaps as we mature or grow up, we lose those influences or we lose that sensibility. Stay with us to learn a little bit more about his life, about the road he took, and about his works and inspirations. And we're talking today with Alejandro Murgia. He is the Poet Laureate of San Francisco. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you, uh, Isabel, for the opportunity to speak to your audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You uh, were born in San Francisco, then you moved to Mexico for your early childhood, but then you came back and um, got very interesting in literature from a very early age. Yes, You know, I kind of have the experience of both being native-born, so I'm a native son of California, and uh, the experience of an immigrant arriving to this country, not knowing any of the culture and not knowing any of the language. So in some ways, um, 
I understand both positions. And it was always in San Francisco, so you have seen the city change with the time and everything that has happened since. Yes, I've, I've seen some changes, obviously, <laughs> in San Francisco. Change is a part of life. Yeah. So, uh, in some ways, the change is natural, just like the change in California, for example, when I was a young man. Uh, the population, the Latino population of California was maybe 10% or 15%. And now the Latino population of uh, California is running about 50%. Yeah. So the change is natural. But I think uh, some of the changes that are going on in San Francisco, in particular in the Mission District, are not natural, but very aggressive and uh, destructive. Uh, change. Many authors have, have been influenced by their cities and uh, in many ways their cities are part of who they are and the, the way they write is like another character. How has uh, Mission District and San Francisco influenced you? Well, <clears throat> in the first place, the diversity of the Latin American community in San Francisco has been uh, very rich and a great source of inspiration for me. And when I talk about the diversity of the Latin American community, I'm talking about uh, Chile and Argentina and uh, all of the Central American countries and the Caribbean countries, um, Mexico, of course. So, and even places like Colombia or Peru, uh, those communities are also very strong here. So all of those uh, trends and influences and writers from those regions have been uh, important in my development, and I would say in the development of not just Latino writers in San Francisco, but in some cases across the board, uh, the Latino Latin American writers have influenced writers in San Francisco, regardless of their ethnic background. You teach Latin American literature in uh, San Francisco State. What have been your main inspirations during your career because, well, I know you have written about Vallejo, about Lorca. Has Latin American literature being a main character also in your growth as a poet? Absolutely. Uh, one of my first and last, most lasting influence has been the Nicaraguan poet Ernesto Cadenal, for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. uh, whom we brought to San Francisco for this historic reading uh, last month as part of the International Floricanto Literary Festival. Mm -hmm. Another great influence on my work, and again, it's not just influence myself or other Latin American writers in San Francisco, but across the board. Uh, another great influence has been the Salvadorian poet, Roque Talton. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm just naming two of them, but the whole range of Latin American literature and literature from Spain and indigenous mm -hmm. literature the ancient Nahuatl poets, for example, like Nesalat Coyoto, and the concept of Floricanto, the metaphor for poetry, have been a great influence uh, on my own work. How are your beginnings as a writer? Well, uh, I first recite poetry, actually, when I'm still in Tijuana. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, five years old when I first uh, present a poem. It's not my poem, but I recite a poem uh, for a big school event. And then later on, 
when I'm about 14 or 15, already back in the United States and fluent and competent in English, uh, I'm influenced by a lot of uh, popular music that's going on at that time. Uh, the folk music, people like Bob Dylan, for example, uh, the lyrics of contemporary groups like uh, the Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. and even the writing, which a lot of people don't realize that John Lennon of the Beatles actually wrote several books um, mm-hmm. in the late, in the mid-60s, which mm-hmm. uh, were very sort of experimental works and and going in a lot of different places, and even that uh, mm. influenced me. That comes uh, along with the idea, that, as I heard you say, that poetry is meant to be talk, is meant to be meant to be heard, and not just meant to be read. So it's uh, more about the musical part of the poem. Well, p- poetry uh, is an oral tradition, mm-hmm. and it, it develops back in ancient times in all cultures, very closely with music and chanting and beating on, on objects that create sound. So for me, and also part of that influence is Dylan Thomas. When I was uh, a young Brown Buffalo, 16 years old, 17 years old, mm-hmm. reading Dylan Thomas, I became aware of, by reading him about his life that he was a great practitioner of the oral tradition of poetry and could recite his own poems from memory. And I remember one of his comments being that all poets should be able to recite their work from memory. So I think that's, for me anyway, the musicality of the poem, the rhythm of the poem, how the poem is delivered by the poet, the phrasing of particular lines or emphasis on particular words or images, for me, is a very important part of poetry. Uh, And perhaps that's something that's missing a little bit in United States poetry, where poets think that the poem should be read without any particular emphasis or or rhythm or or musicality. But poetry is all about you know, it's, it's interesting when you read a poem or you read anything, actually, not just poem, you, you put your own tone, you set your own uh, drama in uh, how people are speaking or doing things. And then when you listen to the author reading their own artwork, it's a little bit different maybe than how it sounded in your head before. I have some recordings of Cortázar or some recordings of Neruda doing their own work, and it's, it's quite interesting. Have you ever thought about recording your work so other people listen, like an audiobook or something, how how it was meant to be or how, how it came out of your mind? Well, actually, um, I very much enjoy getting recordings of some of my favorite poets and listening to them read. And you'd be surprised. Some poets, like Neruda, are really great in the rhythms. You know, it's kind of like the the ocean, Mm -hmm. the waves of the ocean in Neruda's rhythm. But other poets, and I hate to mention this because I know you're in Stanford, (laughs) but other poets like T.S. Eliot Mm -hmm. have no rhythm at all. (laughs) And actually sound really quite awful uh, when you listen to their recordings of, of their work. 
Uh, and so there's been a lot of my own work recorded on YouTube, for example. I was just in Europe uh, recently in Italy, and I, I believe they put some of my work up on YouTube. And there's other uh, readings of mine on, on, on that medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I've contemplated maybe doing a CD with uh, collaboration with um, musicians, uh, maybe jazz musicians or American musicians. Mm-hmm. It's still maybe a project uh, for Dominic. Remember that this is Atenea Americana and that I am your host, Isabel Jubes. Today, we are talking with Alejandro Murguia. He is the Poet Laureate of San Francisco. Remember that this and all the shows are at StanfordHispanicBroadcasting.org. How are you with technology? Is that part of your process or you you get more inspired with the paper and the pen and then go to the computer or hate them at all? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think I'm one of those who has some sort of phobia about technology. In fact, I was just struggling all morning with my <laughs> technology. Uh, but traditionally, I write uh, longhand mm-hmm. with, uh, with pencil. And then after I've kind of done the first draft, uh, I transfer it to the computer and then do many drafts uh, of it, constantly mm-hmm. printing out the poem or the story and then revising it with pencil and mm-hmm. then putting it back into the computer, fixing it some more and back and forth, back and forth mm-hmm. until I'm, I'm happy with it. But then what happens with me, especially with the poetry, as I start presenting the poem in public, Mm-hmm. The poem will, will start changing depending mm-hmm. on the rhythms that I hear or new images that I discover. Uh, so oftentimes my published poem is somewhat different from the poem in its more contemporary form that has been polished many times through many, many readings. You try them before and read them in public before you go and publish it and stamp it there on time. <laughs> Yes, and and like I said, the poem is seldom static, yeah. but oftentimes transforming and trying to find its own form or its own uh, words that fit more precisely than my published version, perhaps. But then the published version is the one that stays there for the public. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, and, and some poems, for example may not get revised at all because I just don't read them in public. Mm-hmm. But the ones that I read a lot uh, tend to eventually find a more solid uh, form that, like I said, might be a little bit different uh, than the published version. How has uh, helped you or inspired you, if at all, the life as a, as a university professor? In your work, do you feel it makes you think about different things or do you get feedback for young people, different minds? Well, the benefit of being, for me, at the university, because I teach literature, 
is that it keeps me close to reading and uh, more and more the reading aspect of writing is as important as actual writing. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I, that I try to find innovative writers to present to my classes also helps me because then I'm constantly analyzing what I consider are very good writers and thinking about their own methods. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the benefit of that. But university life per se is not what I write about. And in fact, I don't recall ever writing a poem about school, for example, or whatever happens at the university. What is the meaning for you to be in a, a poet laureate of San Francisco and actually the first Hispanic poet laureate of San Francisco? What does it mean for you and what does it mean to be actually poet laureate for an author? Well, several things. One, um, I take uh, the honor of poet laureate not personally or individually, but as a reflection of my community and an honor that belongs to the people of the Mission District uh, and the writers that have emerged, both Latino and non-Latino, that have emerged from the Mission District since the beginning of San Francisco. Uh, so on the one hand, it's a community honor. It belongs to, to all my colleagues as well. And then, but also on another hand, I think it's important and I talked about it in my inaugural address, which is also printed as part of State Poems, mm -hmm. about the long history of Latino writers in San Francisco. Uh, and we can talk about the first diarist who came up with the first expeditions, people like mm -hmm. Pedro Font, uh, who was the first to describe uh, the Farallones, for example, in a lot of the landscape of uh, San Francisco. We can talk about the Ohlone Nation and their chants and their songs. Uh, and, of course, the generation of the 20th century, people like uh, Jose Coronel Utecho of Nicaragua, who wrote it. As a Nicaraguan, young Nicaraguan in San Francisco, wrote about being in San Francisco and what it was like to be a young Nicaraguan in the 1920s uh, studying here, and then later on, of course, the great explosion of uh, Latino poetry in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. And it's really during that time, I think, in the 70s and 80s and 90s and up to the present, that for me, the literary center, the literary heart of San Francisco shifted from North Beach to the Mission District. And we can verify that historically by, for example, the literary groups that were active in the Mission District, the magazines that came out of the Mission District during that period, the incredible amount of readings that were organized that drew real strong attention to the poetic scene of San Francisco. And the great majority of that emerges from the Mission District, so it's important to acknowledge the Latino contribution to the vibrant literary life of this city. You have said before that San Francisco is a city of poets, that everybody is a poet until proven otherwise. Is this because of the feeling of the city or because you believe that all human beings are actually a, a little bit of a poet? Mm -hmm. Well, both, mm -hmm. right? Just like uh, every human being has a story that's important to tell and perhaps write down. And we all grow I think I'm born with instincts for art and beauty 
one hand, yes, we're all poets in that sense, until proven otherwise. But also, I think San Francisco has a very long tradition of nurturing writers and, and skeptics and those who have been kind of on the fringe of society, uh, going back to even people like Mark Twain, who wrote about San Francisco okay. and was perhaps also influenced by San Francisco, Robert Frost, or poem about Woodward Gardens, uh, even others uh, like Harold Norris and, of course, all the great deep poets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, a, there's an ambience that perhaps encourages artistic uh, endeavors. And perhaps not just in poetry, but in, in art, uh, there, there was a reason why Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo hung out mm-hmm. in San Francisco. There was, there's a reason why Carlos Santana emerges from the Mission District. Mm-hmm. Uh, so part of it is perhaps the ambience, part of it the cosmopolitan, mm-hmm. and also part of it the fact that it's a port of entry for so many people, so many influences coming in and out, and the tide that people feel compelled to record their memories or their lives or incidents uh, in writing. So I think all of that kind of adds to the ambience mm-hmm. of San Francisco as a city of poets. The activism has been always a big part of your life in, in San Francisco. Yes. Uh, on the one hand, as a Latin American myself, I'm Chicano, mm-hmm. but I identify also as a Latin American a member of this entire continent. Mm-hmm. And in Latin America, art and politics are not separate. Your mm-hmm. politics are your art, and your art is your politics. Yeah. So, And that's very different, I think, from your typical United States artist or your United States writer who perhaps wants to be apolitical uh, or thinks that they, they are apolitical. And then also, there's also important issues that have come up in my life that uh, it was important to dar la cara, as we say in Spanish, mm-hmm. to show yourself on the side of the oppressed people. In Nicaragua, for example, during the dictatorship of uh, Somoza, uh, during the conflicts in Central America. Mm-hmm. And even now, I think it's important, uh, the issue of um, the aggressive and destructive gentrification that's going on in the Mission District and throughout San Francisco. I think it's important that artists kind of uh, step up and say, well, here's what I think about this, or this is the experience of my friends that artists who have been addicted, mm-hmm. so that the issue stays in the minds of, of people and perhaps helps change some of this very antagonistic environment that has surfaced in San Francisco recently. That is right. I find that life in uh, Latin America is uh, the politics are always inside the conversation, inside the people. And even in the same family, you can have people that is from two very brothers that are from two extremes and uh, mm-hmm. very they, they may even have a strong political life and but they can sit and eat together it, while over here is like a little bit for pot to talk in public about anything that you think politically uh, this side or the other side it's like a taboo to talk about politics in most uh, American uh, every time you talk with somebody it's like oh let's not go there well over there is just part of who you are part of normal things and let you think about what we think about everything, even about buying cheese somehow has something to do with politics. And 
And I, I agree with your observation about that. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the tragedies that's going on in the United States right now is the refusal to engage in conversation, uh, or perhaps we're losing the art of conversation. Mm-hmm. And conversation and dialogue are very important, I think, in our time. The exchange of ideas, whether we agree or disagree, but just my listening to your position and you listening to mine helps us bridge the differences. But if we don't talk about these very, very important issues, then you become kind of like a lemming or a a sheep being led to slaughter without everyone ever raising their head and questioning why these things happen in our society. And that also puts a stop to the evolution of ideas, which is a very valuable thing. If we don't talk about it, how we're going to fix the problems doesn't mean that I hate you just because I think I don't think exactly like you. And I agree with that, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and as I mentioned, I think part of what's happening is because in part, not just the younger generation, but even spilling off into older generations, they are more concerned with being plugged into the computer than with being engaged with another human being. Mm-hmm. But you cannot have a dialogue with a computer. And so what I think part of what is happening, we are becoming a society that is not only more estranged from each other, but a society that is becoming more and more polarized, and we can see that every day in what happens in our in our country, in, our, in the Bay Area and in San Francisco. We are becoming more and more po- polarized without a way to bridge those differences. This is Atenea Americana, and I am your host, Isabel Jubes. You may find this and all my shows at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org. This is a bilingual cultural show bringing you a window to the Latin and Hispanic universe every week for two hours, one in English and one in Spanish, from Stanford to the world. You can also be part of this, leaving me your comments, sharing your thoughts, and even more at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org. I invite you to be part of this. Today, we are talking with Alejandro Murguía. Yeah, and San Francisco, the last couple of years, actually, has, it has been changing a lot with this new boom of tech, like Silicon Valley is not just staying in the Bay Area, it's just actually getting inside the city and moving some people out. Well, that's one of the big uh, problems that's uh, happening, in particular in the Mission District. And uh, I don't quite understand why the Mission District is being targeted so heavily by not just uh, the tech people, uh, but the developers and uh, all the aggressive changes and destructive changes are happening in the Mission District. And what I mean by destructive and violent changes, the Mission District right now is suffering an epidemic of arson fires, fires that are displacing many, many, many uh, working-class people, artists, and Latinos. But that's not happening in the rest of the city. There isn't an explosion of fires in uh, the Castro District or in the Fillmore or in Pacific Heights 
only in the Mission District. And the other problem is that uh, many politicians are uh, calling for building more and more and higher and higher uh, luxury condos, but mm-hmm. only in the Mission District. Mm-hmm. But why don't they spread that around and build some of those in the Fillmore yeah. or build some of those in the Castro so that 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 whole boom is spread around the city instead yeah. of just concentrating it in the Latino neighborhood. Yeah, and uh, that will be more natural because the cities aren't just something that you come and plan and do one day from one day to another. Cities are people that, you know, the neighbor will have certain character and the other one will have a different one. And that's what makes the city, you know, the changes of over the time, the changes of businesses, the changes of uses of the same building, maybe was three or four things in the same hundred years that it was has been standing up. Uh, but that's what gives the spirit to the city. While if you change it from one day to another, or if you plan a city from scratch, it will never work because the people is what gives that spirit. And uh, part of what's happening in San Francisco is that uh perhaps some of these new people that are you know buying electric condos and all these other things uh or opening up the fancy restaurants mm-hmm. don't want to mix with the people and you can go right now down Valencia Street and there are no Latinos mm-hmm. in these restaurants and there are no black people in these restaurants mm-hmm. so this whole situation is just catering to a very small group of people that unfortunately have a lot of disdain and arrogance towards everybody else. Uh, well, San Francisco is a very diverse city. It, well, it's becoming less diverse. Yeah, so uh, it's going the, the, the wrong African way. Amer- the African-American population is down to about 5%. Oh. Uh, the Latino population. San Francisco, the Mission District, is one of the few places in the country that actually saw the Latino population uh, be reduced in size. Wow. Everywhere else in the country, including the state of California, the Latino population is booming, is growing, mm-hmm. but not in San Francisco. Hmm. So are they going to Oakland? Or is this, well, they're going to be the new... You know, they're going out of the city to wherever they can afford to pay for rent. that this is Atenea Americana and that I am your host, Isabel Juves. Today, we are talking with Alejandro Murguia. He is the Poet Laureate of San Francisco. Remember that this and all the shows are at StanfordHispanicBroadcasting.org. person at school, you read at bookstores, you are very involved in the life of the city, but how the next year or so look for you? Do you have any big projects coming on? Have you been writing more? 
Well, uh, on the one hand, I want to start new literary projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to maybe write a full-length play, theater play, if possible, if I have the time. I'm continuing to write uh, new poems that are perhaps a little bit different. Uh, and uh, just finished a project where uh, one of my short stories was turned into a feature length film called The Other Barrio, mm-hmm. which uh, deals with uh, the question of arson fires that are happening in the Mission District. And so, and in the fall, uh, I'll be the, the new chair of the Department of Latina Latino Studies at San Francisco State. So that will also be occupying my time. Well, thank you very much for giving us a little bit of a window into your life and uh, letting everybody know a little bit more about all these issues and about your work. Thanks, Isabella. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak with you and uh, to share some of my thoughts with your audience. Thank you. And this was Atenea Americana. Stanford 90.1 FM Radio Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. This is Radio Atenea Americana. Bilingual House of Culture. On the air and online. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para Radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Juves. Isabel Juves. Vuelve pronto. Atenea Americana. From Stanford to the world. Remember to come back soon. Ciao. See you later.